Lord, we know that many of us know that we belong to Jesus. And when we first put our trust in Jesus, when we first came to him as Lord and Savior of our lives, some of you can remember when that was. Others may not remember that as well. But when you did that, you were filled with this Holy Spirit and you became a new creation. And then as you waited for the infilling of the Spirit, the gift that was promised to you, he came and he empowered you, he called you, and he directed you and me to be his witness. And we're to be his witness both near and far. That's what he's called and equipped us to. So we changed in that we became son and daughters of God, we became new creations, but we also changed to be witnesses. It's just who we are. It's, about what, it's what we're about. We've been transformed. And so the grace, love, and transforming power of the Spirit that came within us, that same Spirit compels us to share the grace, love, and transforming power story with others around us. To tell them that they can experience this too. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So it tells you you can live by the Spirit, but not be in step with the Spirit. It's a choice we make. It's a focus we have in life. It's something we have to practice and even grow in. So follower of Jesus, I'm here to ask you this morning, are you keeping pace with the Holy Spirit and witnessing for Christ? Are you keeping in step with the Holy Spirit as a witness for Christ? You answer that question. You don't have to feel condemnation. You don't have to feel bad. You're not alone if you would say, no, I'm not keeping step. I'm not a good dance partner with the Spirit. I'm always trying to lead him instead of him leading me. No. And if that's the case this morning, this message is for you. Are you keeping in step with him as he reaches out to others? Because he continues to do that, even those who are far off. I want you to grab your Bibles and read with me. Acts, we're in Acts again, chapter 8, and we're moving to verse 26. Because Philip kept moving. Philip, we find, is this evangelist who was just pretty much a, a food service worker for the church back in Jerusalem, but after the persecution... His true gifts came out, just like those of Stephen. And so he's on the move, and he's leaving Samaria, and here's the next episode in his journey. Read with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So the Spirit, the angel of the Lord, gave direction to him, spiritual direction. It didn't come from his own mind. It didn't come from his own best thinking. It didn't come because he thought he needed to do this to be what God wanted him to be. He had a relationship with the Lord. The Spirit was in him. And so he got this guidance, this direction. We know, right, and we're going to say this again, that, that the Lord very rarely, if ever, speaks audibly. It, it, we receive God's word through his word that just jumps off a page or through a word that flashes in our minds or some kind of vision that God gives to us, or a dream, or a feeling that moves us like a tide. And if there's power that's moving, and we sense that, and we sense it's the Lord, that's how the Lord speaks. And so he directed him. And he says, go down to the desert road. So he saw something. 
And so he goes down. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candite, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Wow. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to this chariot and stay near it. You notice that the spirit doesn't communicate a whole lot. He gives a sentence. Go to this road down, that's heading down south. Go to this chariot and stand by it. You make the move, right? The spirit tends to be a man of few words or a spirit, or person of few words, and he's giving direction. And so here we go. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And so he asked the question, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. True. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Taken from him. And so the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage, that very passage of scripture, and he told this eunuch the good news about Jesus. Wow, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him in the water. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit did what of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. We don't know if this happened actually physically. We don't know if it was a miraculous transportation. We don't know if he just said, hey, it's time to go and you need to move on. It could have been all those things, but suddenly he was directed away. As he was directed to him, he was directed away from him. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing full of joy. Philip, however, appeared at Exodus, and he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. He continued to do what he was called to do. What a great passage of scripture. A great passage of scripture full of truth for you and I as being witnesses. Now let me ask you something. Does God really want you to share your testimony, the good news message, with people or with a person who is totally foreign from you? Think about it. The person who is so different from you that you can think of. Does God really want you to share the gospel with them? Does he? A person of another race, a person of another nationality, maybe even a whole nother demographic than you. Would God do that? Think about that. Would he, would he use you? Or does he just use people who are near people to reach people? 
Would he use somebody else to reach them if he wanted to reach them? Or would he use you to reach them? Are you off the hook? Do you feel like you're off the hook when it comes to witnessing to people that are totally different than you? People that look different, talk different, different age, different everything than you. Is, are those not the people you're supposed to reach or not to witness to? Is it supposed to be somebody else's job or is it yours? Is it yours? I want you to know something. When it comes to evangelism, when it comes to keeping in step with the Holy Spirit and witnessing, we need to find some of these truths that were in this passage. They speak to us about staying in lockstep with the Spirit. They, they, they speak to us about keeping pace with Him. Because we are, Scripture has told us, we must stay in step with the Spirit. That's His will. We must keep pace with the Spirit. That's His will. What happens if you don't? You don't do his will. You, you just, it gets done by somebody else. You never go on to experience the goodness of his kingdom or being a part of leading other people to the truth that saves them, just like it saved you. So let's talk about what are some of the important principles or truths we need to get from the scripture. Let's take a look at the main character, Philip. Philip, as you remember, is a Hellenistic, Greek-speaking Jew who's come to follow Jesus. When we first ran into him, we know he was a common man. He was chosen to serve in the distribution of food along with Stephen. Uh, they were supposed to take care of the Hellenist uh, widows that were being left out of the food distribution in Jerusalem. But just like Stephen, we found out that Philip has other gifts of the Spirit. He has other things to offer. He's a powerful preacher. He's a minister of signs and wonders and miracles of healing. And God is using him. And when the persecution came and it, and it caused the church to be scattered, God sent Philip to Samaria and now to our little episode to be a witness to an Ethiopian eunuch. Philip. There's Philip. Now the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian, if you don't know, that, that the spirit led Philip to is a black man. He's a foreigner. He's a eunuch. Y'all know what eunuchs are, right? I mean, the boy's been castrated, and I'm not going to go any further than that. Okay? In service for, for whatever he's doing. And we find out that he's, the, he's, he's even more than just a eunuch. Uh, he's a follower of the Jewish faith. Now, what's interesting about this is that eunuchs were excluded from participation in temple rituals. They were excluded from full admittance as a proselyte into the Israeli community. So there he was, but he was still following that faith. He was looking for truth, even though he was excluded from much of it. So as a foreigner, as this eunuch, this man, he is ritual, ritually and religiously far off from Philip. You couldn't hardly find a person more different and more far off from Philip than this Ethiopian eunuch. But this man also had distinction. We talked about the fact that Philip was a common man. This man was not a common man. In fact, he was in charge of the finances, uh, all the finances of the queen of Ethiopia. This man had status. 
He was traveling in a chariot that was staffed by, by servants and secured by servants. Philip, on the other hand, was what? He was kind of earthy. He's traveling on foot at this time. His clothes probably hadn't been washed for a while. And here he is, this scruffy guy, and he's to witness to this squeaky clean guy who's totally different from him in every single way. The Ethiopian and Philip both demonstrated something, though. They demonstrated an understanding about how to move forward in faith, how to move forward as a lifelong learner. They both demonstrated humility. It's rare to find people of stature and sometimes even spiritual leaders who are humble. But they were humble. But not only were they humble, they were available. They were available in relation to be with each other as well as before the scriptures. So despite the Ethiopian's high status, he invites Philip to come up and join him, and then Philip keeps responding to the Spirit and this man by following the lead and opportunity that's given him, the open door before him. These two men could not be different. However, God is doing something, and both their hearts are open, and they're sensitive to follow. See, that's what's important if we're going to be witnesses for Christ. Are we sensitive to follow? I don't know if you noticed, but the overall focus of this lengthy lengthy passage it's really on Philip. The Ethiopian eunuch's name is never mentioned. We only know him as an Ethiopian eunuch, but we hear Philip's name nine times in this passage. Nine times. So we know right away one of the most basic and overall points from this passage is this. God uses unlikely people to reach unlikely people. God uses unlikely people to reach unlikely people. I know the statistics show that most people come to Christ through their friends. That's true. But many other times, it's through somebody who is an unlikely individual. He uses people who are geographically, ethnically, and socially far off. He does that. And he does that for several reasons. He does it because he wants to show us, one, uh, that people who are different from us matter to God. He values them, just as he values us. And if we keep in step with him, he's going to use us to reach them and bless them. He's going to do that if we'll follow him. I can remember the Lord telling us that we need to take our students on cross-cultural mission outreaches. And we thought, okay, here we go. We're going to do that. And people question whether we should do that or not. Don't they have people right around us that we need to reach? Aren't there you know, service projects or things we can do right here? Here, why are we going so far out to Ensenada, Mexico, to do missions work? But we felt called to do it. We took our kids down there. And sometimes people felt like they were called to be down there, and other times they wondered if they were called. But I guarantee that most everybody who wondered whether they were called knew they were called after they came back. We were sitting around after we had fulfilled a mission project for this one church, Vino Nuevo, down in Mexico. Um, I can't go into the story because I don't have time to go into the story. 
But what we did is we made a difference. And we're standing around, and we're in prayer. And one thing that struck me more than anything else, as I was looking around, and I saw the God moment and the opportunity that we had, I marveled that God would choose a little church in Wichita, Kansas, believers to come 1,500 miles or more and make this impact on our brothers and sisters in Mexico. And I just stood there and marveled that God would care that much to meet that need, and it was a big need, and it, re it erased a hurt that was within them. And he used little of us to bring the gospel and to bring the kingdom into their midst. I want to ask you something. Who are the unlikely people in your life? Think about them. Make a list for yourself if you're taking notes. Who are the unlikely people in your life? Think about them. Begin to list them. Maybe they're young. Maybe they're old. Maybe they're a different race. Maybe they're a different demographic. I don't know who they are, but God has given them to you. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, does he have plans for you to reach them? Would he use you to preach the gospel to them? Would he use you to let them know of God's love? And ask him. Ask him. Because the Lord, many, many times, will use unlikely people to reach unlikely people. And that's what he was kind of showing us here. Number two. You don't just step out in evangelism. I know that sometimes we think we're supposed to do that. I've just got to step out. I've just got to be more zealous. I've just got to make myself do this because it's the will of God and people need Jesus, and I just got to do it. No, you don't do it that way. This passage shows us that we don't do it that way. You don't get ahead of the Spirit who is Lord, do you? Amen? It's like doing a dance together or working on a team together. If you don't follow the lead or the, time, the lead of the person that's supposed to take the lead, well, guess what happens? The timing's off. You ever tried to dance with somebody and, you know, and you're holding and you're dancing, and I'm a guy. I've had, had a discussion with my female partners at times. I'm the lead. Please follow me. Because when they don't follow you and they don't trust you, you can't do, you can't dance. And I don't dance that great anyhow. So I need all the help I can get. Right? There's no way to be successful. So your timing's off if you don't, have, if you don't follow the lead of the leader. Your, your ability to be successful, that's off too. Um, and the end result will not be beautiful, will it? It won't be beautiful. If you're working on a team together, and you got a lead on a job. If you're always trying to run and go around the lead and, and do your own thing or not wait for them and not, not work with them, there's trouble on the job. There's trouble getting it done. Your timing's off, your success will be hampered, and it won't be beautiful in the end. And I'm here to tell you that the Spirit always is trying to do something beautiful in us, through us, and for others. He wants to do something beautiful, but we have to be sensitive to him. Are you sensitive to him? Are you looking for his lead as you witness and as you follow him to be his witness? 
He's the one who is directing. And we have to stay sensitive. As we seek to be sensitive to him, we have to do a few things right off the bat. It's hard to be sensitive to the Spirit if you don't spend any time listening to him or looking for him. We, we oftentimes call that a devotional time or, or a prayer time. We sometimes think we've got to do it like everyone else do, does it. You know, us guys, we don't typically like to sit and pray, but we would walk and pray. We would stand and pray. Do whatever you got to do, to make, but you've got to make time. I have to make time if we're to be witnesses to listen. We've got to make time to look for him in his word. We've got to make time to look for him in our life. So however that works, that's what it's about. Uh, some of us were having discussion about that this week, and it's always a continued discussion. How do you relate to the Lord? He's a person. He's a being. And we've got to spend time listening and looking for him. And he will communicate then his, the next step for us. He'll communicate the, the next move in a word or a Bible passage or a sentence or a gesture or, or a guiding feeling. And then we've got to follow that. But no, that's not the whole story because we've got to continue to stay sensitive to him. In our passage, that's what happened. Philip had to stay sensitive. It sent him to the road going south. Then it sent him up to the chariot. And then he had to stay sensitive. Look where this man is. I've got to stay sensitive to that. So, again, the Holy Spirit must initiate. He must guide. He must empower our outreach, our witness, our evangelistic efforts. And we have to respond in faith each step of the way. Can you do that? It's not hard to do that if we're willing to do that. I can remember asking the Lord, okay, Lord, help me be your witness today. Give me a chance to tell somebody something you want me to tell them about Jesus. Every time I pray that prayer, God answers it. Every single time. Because he wants us to be his witness. The Holy Spirit is looking. He's looking for believers who are yielded to him. He's looking for believers who will be available for his will, and they'll serve him just like Philip did. And that's who he's going to draw near to himself, and he's going to use them. That's who he's going to use. So if you're feeling like you're not used, you're feeling like you haven't had God move much in your life, take some time to listen. Take some time to get in his word and just listen and look. Stop and just look. Doesn't have to be tons of time, but take some time to do that. And God will move, just like he did with Philip. Well, here's the third thing when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to being God's witness. We need to focus, in, in normal ways, we need to focus on persons, not programs. See, there was a time when programs were the big rage on how to reach people for Christ and uh, evangelism explosion, and there were other different evangelisms. And, um, and they weren't as sensitive to person, meaning you've got to be sensitive to the spirit, like we said earlier. You've got to be sensitive to what he's saying to you to do. And then you want to be sensitive to the other person. What, what is it that God wants to do in them as he's trying to reach them? And so what happens with this, if you're sensitive to those things, you're going to focus on steps and pace and a process. So you can write all those things down too. Steps, pace, and process. 
because you're focusing on this person. What's the next thing God wants to do in their life? What is it that God wants me to share? How do I join him in this next step? And so this dance stays beautiful. And we want to always stay aware of the Spirit's guidance in this, and we want to use enlightening questions and the opportunities that are given to us to explain the gospel. And isn't that what Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch? Do you understand what you're reading? That's all he asked. That was his great evangelism line. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, no, how can I if no one explains it to me? Well, come on up here. I'll explain it to you. Simple as that. As natural as that. I love that. We got to meet people where they are. We got to use the scripture that they're interested in to tell them the good news of Jesus. And we got to ask people appropriate questions. Ask them, do you understand what you've heard about Christianity? Do you understand God's will on earth? Do you understand why Jesus came? Do you understand what you're reading in the Bible? Do you understand the message of the gospel? See, we have to ask them those questions, and then we've got to explain the good news to them and start where they are. Start where they are. Discovering what they don't understand. So what's the, what, are, what are the essentials of the gospel message? What is it? If we're supposed to share it with people, what is it? We sang through the essentials of the gospel all morning. But could we tell people what the essentials of the gospel are? What does good news mean? The good news of Jesus Christ, which is gospel, that's what that word gospel means, good news, is that there is forgiveness of sin. There is forgiveness of sin for every sinner through the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ on their behalf. Every sinner can be forgiven and saved. That is the good news. It's essentially God's rescue plan. It's his, his rescue plan to redeem us and redeem everyone who trusts in his son. Everyone who will trust in Jesus and his death can be reconciled to the Father and to a holy God. And that forgiveness comes through Jesus' death. That really is the essential context of, that, of the saving message. That's it. So that's the good news. But we know that the Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he lays out the content of his gospel message, and he says this in chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, and we have it up on the board, and you can read it. He wrote this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. And what were the first importance? that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's an essential. Christ died for sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. He did a lot of works of obedience 
to show us God, and one of them was he died because he was supposed to in payment for our sins. And he did die and was buried and was not just mostly dead, but was completely dead. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He was raised. The resurrection. So in that passage, you've got, you've got the three essentials, really. There's actually four essentials. And here's the first one. He died for our sins. Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need to let people know that at some point. We, we're all sinners and there's a problem. But Jesus came to set us free from that sin. And the reality of sin has to be acknowledged by all who are going to truly be saved. I know for me, I had to come to that place where I realized and I said, God, if you were there, when are you ever going to save me from myself? Why? Because I was a slave to sin, and I realized that I was a slave to sin. What I wanted to do, I couldn't do, and what I didn't want to do, I kept doing. For a lot of people, that makes sense. We're slaves to sin. I was guilty because of my sin. I was ashamed because of my sin. I was held down because of my sin. I wanted to be delivered from that slavery to sin. I didn't feel there was any hope until I found out about Jesus, and then I thought, oh my gosh, is this real? Is this real? But I had to come to grips with the hopelessness of my sin before I was going to be ready to take the next step. I had to realize that the wages of sin is death. I'm going to die eternally. I'm going to pay for this. Because, and, and I'm responsible for it. Because I'm the one who did the sinning. And man, that was not good. That was not good. But then I had to come to grips with, okay, so there's sin. And uh, we're all going to die for our sins. But, but Jesus did something. Jesus solved the problem. Jesus was both God and he was man but he was the son of God. God sent his son, his son to pay his own penalty. Now, how weird is that? I'm going to satisfy my law by sending my son. My son's going to live a sinless life that I could never live, and only an infinite God can do that, can live a life that's sinless. And he's going to be the substitute for me. He's going to die in my place. And so his... So my sin against an infinite God is going to require this infinite sacrifice and it can only be paid through Jesus Christ and he's going to pay it once and for all. Jesus went to the cross to pay our debt for our sin and everyone who is covered with his blood will inherit forgiveness in the kingdom of God and become children of the king. Wow. It was his work, not mine. That one salvation for us. It was Jesus. So not only was there a problem, there's a solution in Christ, but then, third, the resurrection of Christ. And I hope we have that up on the board. There we go. The resurrection of Christ is an essential also, right? Because it doesn't matter what you say if you can't back it up. If you can't back it up, it don't matter what you say. The resurrection is the proof of God's power to do what he said he would do. And he did what he said he was going to do. He removed the sting of death 
and he removed the victory of the grave, and he rose for our salvation, and he showed he could do that. Praise the Lord for that. But then finally, this salvation that is offered to us is free. It's a free gift, and we can only receive it by faith. And apart, it's apart from our works. We can't make ourselves right. We can't make ourselves whole. We can't pursue education, wealth, whatever you want to pursue and fill that hole. It'll never fill it enough. We must receive a free gift. And that gift comes from Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's free. So the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. I had to come to grips with that. You had to come to grips with that. God loves me. Sin's my problem. Jesus has a solution, and he's paid for my debt. His resurrection shows that he has the power to do what he said he's going to do, and now I've got to respond Am I going to receive him as Lord and Savior? And am I going to accept this in humility, this payment and debt for my sin? Or will I not? And I know for me, I said and just said, okay, God, my life stinks. If I come, you make me brand new or I don't come at all. And I heard in my heart, the Lord said, I will. I will make you brand new. And I will, though your sin is, is red as scarlet, I will make you white as snow. And you'll start over. And you'll have a new life, and you'll be my son, and you'll be transformed. And so I said, yes. You've got to say yes. We have to help other people say yes to that. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And sometimes we're just so unsure, but you know what? If you were forced to tell me the gospel, you could do it. I know you could. But we, but we get so hesitant when we're talking around our friends or about people we know, we don't want to even venture into it because we're not sure we'll have all the answers. Yeah, you do. The Holy Spirit will give them to you. You know the essentials. We cannot be content, you and I, any longer, nor can we allow other people around us to be content with reading the Bible but not understanding it or getting anything out of it. We cannot be content with that anymore. We have to say, no, I'm going to help you understand this, and I'm going to point you to the Spirit to help you understand it, and you need to begin to fellowship with Him and follow Him and let God show you Himself. But also stay with me and let me help you understand and find Him. We've got to take time to pay attention to the details of the passages we're reading. We've got to ask more and more questions about them and seek answers to those questions, just like the Ethiopian eunuch. We've got to do that. We have to have regular conversations with fellow believers and pose these questions and then hash out real answers. We've got to do that. We have to have conversations that last a week sometimes or a month or a year or maybe longer and stay in those conversations. Because some things are not as easy to understand when it comes to following an eternal God, right? Amen, somebody say amen to that. And your theology may change a few times. I love how people's theology of end times changes over and over again as they follow the Lord. 
I do. And I love how people's idea of, you know, are we once saved, always saved, or can we lose our salvation, or can we... People run all over that, back and forth and all around. But I'm here to say we've got to have these conversations. In fact, this is how disciples are made. This is how we spur one another on to love and good deeds. We keep after it. Husbands and wives, you must have these conversations about your Bible reading, about what you're hearing in church, about what you're studying in small group. Parents and kids, you've got to talk about these things. You've got to talk about it. That's what Scripture tells us. Talk about it when you get up. Talk about it when you go to bed. Talk about it when you walk on the way. Talk about it when you eat dinner. We must talk about it. Peers and even believers, and you've got to have these conversations with unbelievers and stay in a conversation with people because people need time to believe. And so I'm here to ask you and I'm here to encourage you how often do you take the Sunday morning message and have thoughtful discussions with others about it in prayer and in conversation? If you don't, begin to do that. How many times do you take what you've been studying and learning in your small groups, and then you talk about it in a small group, then you go on the rest of the week, and you don't ever look at it again or talk about it again? Begin to have conversations about it. Why don't we do this? Because instead of going to one Sunday service and having a Bible study or have our own devotional times, what we do is we listen to five Sunday sermons. We listen to five uh, podcasts during the week. We read five books a month. You get you, you see what I mean? So we go an inch deep when God wants us to go a mile. And we can't get there because we're bouncing over everything and we never go deep in our conversations. We never follow a train of thought to a deep conclusion. We just always leave all these things on the table. And so we, guess what? You're not made into the disciple God wants you to be made into. Because you don't understand. You don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And that all makes sense. It all makes sense. So I'm here calling you to more depth. Do not believe the hype uh, of our culture. Most of this stuff is just entertainment to you anyhow. It's not going deep. Get some people you trust. Get in a church that you trust. Get in a small group that you trust. Uh, get into people that can go deep with you and then go deep. Go deep and take the time it takes. That's how the old folks did it. And that's why they did go deep. And that's why we're not in modern culture going very deep. Because we just don't have the time or bandwidth to handle all the information that's coming in. Right? We're just being overwhelmed by it. We're opening our mouth and it's just like the way, ah! Of course. Of course. Let's quit doing that. So, I said in normal ways, we've got to focus on persons, not programs. In normal ways, we've got to focus on what the Spirit is doing. What's he doing in us and what's he doing in this other person if we want to reach him? In normal ways, we've got to consider our pace and our steps and our process. So I'm challenging some of our processes and how we're trying to become spiritual. 
And we've got to take the opportunity to explain the gospel. I'm with you. Man, sometimes we have so many things scheduled. I remember being the first time I was a pastor in the church, I used to go, these people come to church all the time, and we do so much. How can they ever share the gospel with people outside the church? They don't have time or energy to do that. You know, and it's true. So I'm on your side. I hope you feel that. But I'm also coming as a herald saying, we need to get out of our cultural cultures. Spastic need for more, 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 more. Right? And go deep instead. And I hope you do. The Spirit wants you to give to others what he's given to you. And, and you know what? He gives you something, and then he says, now, obey it in faith. That's more important than almost anything that we're acting in faith. So in conclusion, the Ethiopian eunuch, he had saving faith because it led him to acting and responding in faith to follow Jesus in obedience. He asked to be baptized. He wasn't even coerced to do so because he knew that he wanted to follow the Lord, and he was ready. He had believing faith. In fact, in your notes in your scripture, it'll say, that he was asked, do you believe? He goes, I believe. I believe Jesus is the Lord. And they've taken that out of some of the more modern because it wasn't in every, in every transcript. And, we, and then we need to know as we share and as we seek to be a witness, we all play only a part in God's plan to reach others. So we need to play our part. Sometimes we're with people for a short time on the road. Other times we're to be with people over the long haul. And we're to stay with them. And again, remember, the Holy Spirit likes to use unlikely people to reach unlikely people. So be open to reaching somebody who's unlikely in your life. That might be the person that's really going to be open to what God is doing or saying through you. And the lingering fruit of the Spirit, if you see the end of this passage, Spirit-led ministry in another person's life, but also flowing from you in life, it leads us to either one or two things, either to a conviction of sin, truth, or the steps we are to take in faith, or it leads to joy and rejoicing. Those are the fruits. The fruits of righteousness or the fruit of joy. You want more joy and righteousness? Then get in the Spirit. Take time for the Spirit. Listen to him, look for him, and follow him. God is, is also looking to reach people who are catalysts and who are influencers, who take the gospel to their realm and they spread it in new areas and businesses and groups of people. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but God is showing us a strategy here. That Ethiopian came to faith. Where do you think he took the gospel? Back to his country. <laughs> he had position and power. He was an influencer. He was a man who was respected. See, our Young Life people back there, that's where Young Life gets their evangelism strategy. They go into high schools, and they know if they look for catalysts and leaders in the, in the student body, if we win them, we get all the rest. It's kind of smart. It's kind of true. If you win the leader of a family, and you win them for Christ, Guess what? Most families are going to believe and trust the leader of the family. Right? So see, God understands that's how things work and it's how he opens up hearts to his truth. 
Because you would never trust anyone else, but you'd trust that person. That's how some of my family came to Christ, because I did. Right? The same for you, in your family, or in your workplace, or in your school. So God is looking for people like that. Philip kept persevering and working as a witness, doing what he was called to do, doing what he was directed to do and empowered to do, and the gospel kept spreading. You may not be called to be a preacher. You may not be called to be an apostle or to be a teacher even. But Ephesians 2.10 tells me this, for we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And those good works are about the kingdom. And it's about the salvation of other people. Are you and I simply keeping step, maintaining pace, and following Jesus, following his spirit, to do the unique work that we've been called and created to do as his witness? That's all we're asking, and that's all I'm asking. And that's all God is asking of you. Keep in step. Keep pace. You know if you're doing it or not, right? That's where the blessing lies. I want you to stand with me and let's close in prayer. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I want to, I'm going to ask you to, we only do this every so often. I want to ask you to put a hand on the person next to you and let's, let's link hands throughout the congregation and throughout the church. You can put a hand on a shoulder. You can grab hands. I have one hand that wants to shake because of stuff, so I can't hold people's hands on this side. But I want you to just be connected. Praise the Lord. We pray God's blessing over you. And so grateful and thankful for all of you and so thankful for your ministry to the church and to the world and to those that are lost. Thank you. Uh, my appreciation goes to you all. God bless you as your lights are out in your families, your communities, your business. We need you as lights, so be lights. God loves you and he wants to work through you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just ask your blessing upon each person that's here today, and even those of our body that can't be with us, those that might be with us online, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you'd show them that you love them. You pay attention. You know their name. The Spirit of the Lord is, is looking throughout the world, seeking those whose hearts are completely theirs, that he might fully support them. Thank you that your word tells us so. So, Father, pour out your grace of your spirit this morning and, uh, and enliven the imagination of those that are here today to ask new questions, to seek after you and to listen to you, Lord, and to take their place as your witness in a, in a stronger way than they maybe have in the past. Encourage their hearts. And then, God, meet their need and fill them up. Lord, where we are not experiencing the fruit of the spirit, in our daily life, God, help us to get in Ephesians 5 and find out what that fruit is. And then help us, God, to seek you to live that out and to be your light to those around us. God, we know that, that that will show people the kingdom. But then we pray that you would show us, God, give us opportunity to share the gospel this week. Give us an opportunity to share part of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be lights and witnesses for you that others would be saved eventually, if not this week. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Keep doing that work to, to wake us up. Keep doing that work 
to get us in step with you, Lord, and to get us on pace with you, Lord, and that we wouldn't be concerned about any other thing other than that. Am I in step with the Spirit? Am I on pace with the Spirit? Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. God, help us to find answers to our questions this week as we, as we lean in more into the conversations that we need to have with others around us and help us to talk and to spur one another on to love and good deeds through our conversations about your word and about faith and what it is you're trying to say to us and do in our lives and do through us for others. So Father, we just bless you and praise you. And then God, I want to say thank you for, again, for these, your servants, your people, and all the many ways that they serve and love and pray for and care for each other. And for those of us who leave even, I'm so thankful and grateful for them. Uh, pour out your blessing upon them and knit us together and increase our unity uh, that the world would see you, Jesus, through our love. It's in your name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen. 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 Lord bless you. Have a great, great Sunday.